As a couple, they have more than 45 years law enforcement experience combined. Both have been through major traumatic incidents and have learned many lessons along the way about finding their new normal. They call themselves that peer support couple. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. It's free and get the latest crime and law enforcement news on the Newsbreak app. It's simple, easy, and free. Just download the Newsbreak app, then search for and follow the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. Calling us from Texas, we have a husband and wife team, Javier and Kathy Bustos, or if I'm doing it the correct way, which would be alphabetical, it'd be Kathy and Javier Bustos. And if I'm doing it by seniority, who carries the most weight in a relationship, it would be obvious, Kathy and Javier Bustos. <laughs> also known oh, as that peer support couple, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. It is a pleasure to have you here to show. And by the way, folks, if you go online and look for that peer support couple, you'll find they're doing tremendous work, not just throughout Texas, but throughout the United States to help out first responders, their families with critical incidents. We'll talk about some of that in, in just a little bit. First, Kathy, tell us about that peer support couple, what it is you do, and where people get more information. We offer uh, peer support for just about anybody who needs it. People call us all the time and just want to talk about things they're going through at work. And because of our experiences, we've, we've kind of unfortunately been there and done that and been able to come out the other side. So we've been very fortunate in our careers and our lives to be able to learn from our mistakes, grow from them, and um, come out come out better police officers and better individuals and and that's what we try to offer to other people is is hope that there is light at the end of the tunnel i know your website is kathy and that's c-a-t-h-y and j-a-v-i.com and get more details there and you also have a, a social media presence what would that be our social media is definitely on facebook we also have instagram we have twitter and we also have our individual um, LinkedIn pages that we use uh, professionally as well. And people just search for that peer support couple, the best way on social media? Oh, definitely. If you type in uh, that peer support couple on your on your search bar, you're more than likely going to see uh, hits for our, our, especially our Facebook. Now, you two are very active. When we say peer support, now people who work in law enforcement, firefighters, first responders, they probably have a pretty good idea what that means. But for the layperson, for everybody else in society, they may not have any concept of what we're talking about. What does that mean? It's basically we're just there for each other. Sometimes people don't want to talk to their family members. They don't want to talk to the administrators. They don't want to talk to their fellow officers. But they'll reach out to someone that they don't know that they feel has been through a similar incident as theirs. And uh, just to talk to them, just to want to get their views and perspectives on the other side. The one thing that we always say about peer support is it's not 
supposed to be difficult. Peer support is something so easy as just being there with somebody who's going through a critical incident. And critical incidents, that covers a lot of things. Witnessing a death, having a coworker killed in line of duty, having to use deadly force, being in uh, shooting yourself, firefighters go through them, EMTs, dispatchers, they, they all have their ways of dealing with these or not dealing with them. Now, back in the day, I'm considerably older than you all are. Back in the day, we didn't have this. It was not heard of, and the way we dealt with things is as a really bad shift when really bad things happen, is we get a case of beer and go in a parking lot and talk, and that's what we did. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but it didn't solve everything, obviously. Oh, that's correct. In fact, the the one thing about the old days where we used to call them choir practices is you're introducing alcohol, which is depressant. And while you think that you're doing something good, you're actually making the situation a lot worse with how you're feeling emotionally. So in the day, drinking a beer, talking with your buddies, and you think you're working it out, it may have had some good effects, but the fact that you're introducing that depressant of alcohol into you, people don't realize how much they were actually hurting themselves. And that applies to everybody, not just law enforcement. We have... Every day you see the news, and, and we have someone who's been affected by the opiate crisis where they've lost a loved one, and they go through this tremendous trauma over that, or they have car accidents, or people have cancer, or it doesn't matter what it is. These sort of things apply to everybody, not just law enforcement, correct? That's correct. Um, definitely, yes. Trauma is trauma, regardless of whether you're a first responder or a civilian. And so many people are suffering from trauma. This is why the civilian and the first responder suicide rates are high, because there are so many untreated victims of trauma out there. And it's the type of thing that you're, if you don't deal with it one way or another, it's going to come out, it's going to come out sideways and it's going to mess your life up. Yes, it is. We're definitely proof of that. Now, I would never say that you two are messed up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't personally think anybody goes through a career in law enforcement. If you're in it long enough, you're going to get changed. I always say you're going to get dinged up mentally and emotionally. You're not going to be the same person you were as when you started. Uh, You think it's an understatement? No, that's not an understatement. That is absolutely the truth. We go through our careers, and and I know mine is going on 26 years after retirement, but we go through our careers, and we see so many officers who basically just dumb things. They do things that they're, they know they're not supposed to do. They drunk drive. They have, There's family violence issues. There's alcohol and substance abuse issues. And you wonder how that young, eager, good officer that you hired became the person that you see in front of you. And this is, this is why trauma and the, the treatment of trauma is into the forefront of law enforcement because we have to fix what we have broken. We take young, eager officers coming in on the road, and they have a good background. They had a, have a good pedigree. They have clean credit checks, and we break them with everything that we put them through. And now it's time for law enforcement and first responders and administrators to recognize that we have to fix what we have broken. That's a rather tall task, getting administrators and city hall, for lack of better words, to take responsibility for something like the terms. I know it's overused, and I don't like the term PTSD. And the reason why Mm -hmm. is I prefer 
post-traumatic stress injury. I think that is more accurate. But getting City Hall to address this and recognize it, it's probably workers' compensation. It's probably financially motivated, at least in part. We seem to be far behind the veterans and combat veterans and the VA and how they are more open to this. Most definitely. Um, It's been going on so long, and unfortunately, many city officials are more reactive than proactive. And, you know, they're scared of opening this Pandora's box of what is this going to do to us? What is this going to do to our workman's comp? What is this going to do to our insurance rates? Correct. And I think also a problem is that it's easy for them to see when an officer or another first responder are injured in the line of duty and they have a physical injury. That's tangible. They can see that. They have to have a mind shift and realize that a post-traumatic stress injury is an injury that they can't see. And sometimes it's just as difficult or harder for it to heal. And until they recognize that, that's where you're going to see a lot of first responders get rejected where they deserve the help that they need. They deserve a retirement honorably. They deserve some kind of financial help, but they're not getting it because they can't see the injury. And for whatever reason, until they have a mind shift, it's always going to be that way. So we hope that what law enforcement today does, what we do, what all the great groups out there are doing is to show the administrators, show the city government, show the county government, all the government, that post-traumatic stress injury is just as devastating to the first responders. And our communities also always say this. We, we have a tremendous responsibility with our first responders. We, we, we demand, rightfully so, that if, if I have a family emergency and I call 911, I want the people showing up to handle the problem I have at my home to be in the best possible physical and mental condition as possible. Our community Absolutely. deserves it. Our civilians deserve it. And our law enforcement and first responders deserve the same treatment as well. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. One of the questions I get all the time is how can I show my support for law enforcement? We're all busy. We've got busy lives, but there's something oh so simple you can do with our Facebook page. Search for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. And when you see a post you agree with that resonates with you, share it, especially episodes of the podcast. To do all that, just search for us on Facebook, look for Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, and be sure to click like. Calling us from Texas, we have Kathy and Javier Bustos. Their website is Kathy and Javi, that's J A V I dot com, also known as that peer support couple. Both of you law enforcement officers, so between the two of you, you've got like 45 years total law enforcement experience. Yes. That's a long, long time. Yeah, yeah you make time. it feel old when you say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll put it this way. I got hurt and retired at the ripe old age of 33. And so I've been retired longer than I was ever in law enforcement. And some things about the job have not changed. Yes, there's new technologies. There's new tactics. There's things I don't know about. But when it comes to basics of people and dealing with trauma, for lack of better words, those things have not changed. We have more resources available now. And what I'm getting at is, Kathy, you went through a full career and you experienced more than your fair share of trauma. I believe I saw on your website one of the incidents that really stood out was the death of a coworker. 
Yes, it, uh, it certainly was. I had, of course, in, in my career, I've had early on in my career, I had a, a suicide of a coworker and then a, an attempted suicide of a coworker. But yes, the line of duty death of, of our friend and, of course, my daughter's school resource officer and mentor was very difficult and, and hard to recover from. Those things take a very long time. And when you say recover from, I saw on your website, and there's a term I like quite a bit, finding a new normal. I don't think we are ever the same again. Oh, no. I know one of the things that I struggled with for a very long time with a couple of line of duty murders was the survivor's guilt or feeling that if I was there, it would have been different. I could have done something different. And I know logically it doesn't make sense. That doesn't take the emotional side out of it. Absolutely. That's, that is so true. I was over the training division at my department when when our officer, Officer Leonard Reed, was killed, and I felt like if we would have had better training or we would have had better instructors or, or better anything, that might not have happened. And the reality is we have to go do our jobs. So we can't train every day, all day long. But Absolutely. no matter how much training you have, you cannot plan for every possible scenario. Something comes up that no one be prepared for or... They catch you at a moment where you're just not totally on your game, and, and they get the drop on you. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we live in a high-risk industry. We work, live and work in a high-risk industry, and regardless of how you analyze it and you logisticize it and you, you do all these things, it, you can't prohibit bad things from happening. And it's not always these mad criminal geniuses that people love to see on television or in the movies Mm -hmm. it's the person who's got absolutely nothing going on in their life that's an absolute loser that will take your life that they shouldn't be able to do that they don't have the training they don't have the skills they don't have the weaponry they don't have the safety equipment that we have and yet it still happens and it happens on a weekly basis all across the united states almost daily now we've lost many officers just in the last few days yeah, we have. Uh, I hate to say it, and it doesn't it doesn't get any easier. Going back to your your coworker and friend Leonard, what happened? He was training on a motorcycle in an effort to become a motorcycle officer, and unfortunately had a what should have been a minor collision, but as a result of where he fell and what he came into contact with, he was killed uh, be, from being thrown from the motorcycle. And that happens quite frequently with our, our motor officers. And I, I've ridden motorcycles from the time I was 19 up until just about a year or so ago because I've never had an accident. I know it's, it's going to happen if I keep riding. And uh, uh, for some reason, I guess I never wanted to be a motor cop for that very, very reason. Like it would take the fun out of something I enjoyed so much. Right. I, I certainly love my motor guys, but they all know how I feel about motorcycles in law enforcement. <laughs> and I know I'm going to anger a lot of motors people, but just from from personal experiences, I'm, I'm not a big fan of motors. And the same can be said for our mounted officers. And you, Exactly. And you ride yeah. in a uniform patrol car handling calls, and you've got a big target on the side of your car. So we are exposed to potential violence whether it be accident or, or homicidal attacks uh, on a daily basis. And then you mentioned a couple co-workers who died by suicide that you had to deal with as well. And that's always an ever-present problem. It is. And, and growing higher by the day. Uh, early on in my career, I had a, a completed suicide of a sergeant that was at my department. 
and then later in my career, an attempted suicide of a coworker. Um, and and both were very difficult. Both were handled in various ways by the administration, but it's something that ultimately my goal is suicide prevention. I want to be able to stop the act of suicide. Um, but until then, we have to get better at how we handle a suicide or an attempted suicide after it happens. And throwing that it makes all the cumulative traumas that we see and experience would be car accidents, fires, uh, assaults, homicides. Was that a factor in your career as well? Oh, of course it was. Um, there were, I, I had many baby deaths, many fatalities. I worked crimes against persons for a long period of time and just the understanding of what people can do to each other and how people can hurt each other is is very traumatic. When you kind of live in an insulated world, you don't really get how traumatic investigating those crimes can be. After all this that you've talked about, I, I can imagine having been through it myself, there had to be a point where something well, something responded in a negative way in your personal life. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Of course I can. Uh, we, aside from the attempted suicide of my coworker and our liner duty death, Javier was involved in a shooting, which he'll talk about. And um, th- those things together kind of toppled us as, as a couple. And uh, we had to work extremely hard to save our marriage and, and save us as people and our careers because of what we had been through. We hadn't taken care of ourselves. We had become hurt people, walking wounded, whatever you want to call it in the first responder profession. And uh, it took us a lot of work to get on the other side of that. And that's what we try to offer to other people is what they can do to get to the other side. We are talking with Javier and Kathy Bustos, both law enforcement officers. They are that peer support couple. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Remember when news was free? Be sure to check out the Newsbreak app. It's free. And be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. Newsbreak is your number one local news app for current events, free live news for you and your community. Download the Newsbreak app today for free. And be sure to follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast on the Newsbreak app. That's the free Newsbreak app. Be sure to look for and follow the Law Enforcement Talk radio show and podcast podcast we're turning our conversation with kathy and javier bustos uh, they are a married law enforcement couple they've got combined 45 plus years law enforcement experience i know that makes them sound ancient but they're younger than me and they are known as that peer support couple Kathy spent a lot of time, thankfully, talking about some of the things you went through. Now, Javi, you're still an active law enforcement officer. And yes, sir. People may not understand that, that there's regulations and rules and limits on what you can talk about. So if I ask a question that you cannot talk about, just say, hey, I can't talk about that. You've been on the job about how long now? I've been on the job for 20 years, and then coming on March, it'll be 21 years now. And... It, during that time frame we talked earlier there's so many things accumulative things that we all see the violence for me it seemed in baltimore like it was non-stop the shootings the stabbings the people beating on each other so-called loved ones 
killing each other. Not to mention the shootings I was involved in. Those are all factors in your career as well, correct? That's correct, sir. You see a lot of things on this job, and sometimes they do kind of break your back for a little bit. They can. I saw something on Facebook last week, and it was a picture of a female officer throwing up in a toilet after work. And I had to respond, and what I said was, I'll admit it, I've cried in my patrol car, I've puked. Then I got silent where I wouldn't talk about anything with anybody, especially my wife. And then I became very, very angry, and that anger almost took me out. Yes, anger in a law enforcement relationship, whether both are married cops or only one is an officer, uh, the anger is really bad. And if we learn not to control that, it could be devastating to a marriage. I found for me that that anger was a symptom of other problems, that trying to control the anger was like trying to put a a Band-Aid on an arterial bleed. Until I dealt with the bleed, nothing was going to get better. And eventually I did, thank goodness, and, and life is really good. In your career, you wound up being involved in what we call an officer-involved shooting. Can you tell us about that? Uh, Yes, sir. It was September 25th, uh, 2010. I was involved in an officer-involved shooting with the subject who was actually trying to achieve suicide by cop. Uh, After I ended up shooting him, he ended up shooting himself, and that was the cause of his death. Little did I know then, but of course now, upon reflection, two lives were changed. His life ended, and mine went in a totally different direction that I never anticipated. So it was difficult times for me going through that because I felt I was going to be okay. I felt that I was going to get through it, and I was going to be fine, and I was going to move on. And now in retrospect, I handled it totally wrong. And instead of actually dealing with my feelings and my emotions, I went the opposite way and tried to help everybody else. Because I used to say, by helping others, I'm helping myself. And that wasn't true. I was just immersed in the trauma and feeding off of other traumas that would happen at my police department to keep me going to the point where it just eventually broke me down. Let me say it broke you down. What happened? Well, some people call them anxiety attacks or panic attacks. I reached the point where I had so much emotional stress, and also let's add on to the fact that Kathy and I were, do- were not doing well as a couple back then, that I ended up in the ER thinking that I was having a heart attack, which was not the case. That was an eye-opener for me because I realized that I was suppressing so much trauma. My trauma, the trauma of seeing my wife go through things as a first responder in her incidents, and being a spouse with first responder also going through it, and then taking on everybody else's trauma, I was just, my glass was full. I, a lot of people like to use that analogy. My glass was overflowing, and it got to the point where I couldn't handle any things anymore. I've heard from many people, and I can tell you from my own experience, that I felt like I was adding more problems and creating more conflict for my family and for my spouse in particular that they never should have been put through. And I couldn't find a way to make it better or alleviate it on my own. Oh, that's a huge problem because as cops, what are we trained to do? We're trained to go and we're trained to listen to a problem and find a solution and then we move on. So that's what we try and do for ourselves is we think I'm going to fix myself. I'm going to find the way to make this right and then move on. And that's the mistake we make because we're not relying on the help of our spouses and peer support and clinicians and everything else. We just think that we're the ones that have to do it ourselves. 
Now, going back to the incident, the officer-involved shooting, you mentioned a term that's used a lot in the media, and, and I think a lot of people don't understand it, that's suicide by cop. And I can only tell you this, I, I've been very lucky in my career, I never, no one ever died. All right? That's, thankfully, this is the way it worked for me. The term suicide by cop is used so much nowadays in the media. I think that it's misconstrued and people tend to think that we as law enforcement officers, we're in that situation with someone who's in that mode that we can quickly determine that they're not a threat to our own safety. I guess what I'm getting at is really, did you feel guilty because of the suicide by cop thing? Like you should be able to solve it without using deadly force? I didn't feel guilt. I tried my hardest, uh, and I'm not a chain negotiator, but I tried my hardest to try and negotiate with him because he was in crisis. But we have to recognize the fact that even though he was in crisis, he was a threat to the public and to any first responder that was in the area. So I had to do my job. And unfortunately, part of our job is using lethal force. So I had to do my job. So I never felt guilt that I did what I was trained to do at all. Uh, in fact, the, the, if I ever felt any guilt was the guilt of not helping myself. Gotcha. And the reason I ask that, Javier, is because so often we hear, we called the police to help him. He was having mental health issues and they wound up shooting him as if the, the police are the bad guys, as if we have the ability to be psychologists, psychiatrists, emergency room doctors, Superman, and God all in once, and we can stop someone from doing harm to themselves and from threatening other people. And a lot of times we can't. No, we can't. When we're dealing with somebody who's in that much crisis where they're trying to commit suicide by cop, it's hard to deal with somebody because they're not rational. And even though it's easy to watch videos, read stories, listen to accounts of what happens, you're not in the situation. I never tell people that you can solve the problem of how an officer took action by sitting in the comfort of your home at a keyboard or at a TV. There's just no way. You don't experience what's going on live in front of you. People can analyze any officer-involved shooting, especially suicide-by-cop shootings, in the comfort of not being in danger. The officers are there live, and they only get one chance to get it right. And that chance, unfortunately, is fatal sometimes. It is. Speaking of that, the suicide-by-cop thing that happens, I highly encourage everyone to check out the dash cam video of Deputy Kyle Dinkeller, who was killed in line of duty, and also the documentary done by Patrick W. Shaver called Dinkeller. And it will shed a lot of light about those situations. And it's so easy to sit, like you said, from the comfort of your home, your office, and the keyboard to say, well, if I was there, I would have done this. Or he or she should have done that or shouldn't have done this when they weren't there. Watch those two things. Also watch the documentary Officer Involved, which you'll see Javier and Kathy in as well. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Whether you're an aspiring podcaster, new or published author, speaker, content creator, visionary, or a dreamer crafting your message, now is your moment to shine. At CreativeCon 2024, you'll discover how to position yourself as an industry leader and leverage podcasting, publishing, production 
and promotions to maximize your impact. For those seeking purpose, we'll ignite your storytelling passions and guide you to a more fulfilling path. To secure your tickets for this one-of-a-kind live event taking place at Chicago's Metropolis Performing Arts Center on February 17th and 18th, visit creativecon.com. That's C-R-E, the number 8, T-I-V-E-C-O-N.com. Get your tickets today. The future is yours. Speak it, write it, live it. John J. Wally joining the phone by Javier Bustos and Kathy Bustos. Now, Kathy's a retired law enforcement officer, and Javier, her husband, is an active law enforcement officer, hopefully be retiring in the next few years. And together, they're called That Peer Support Couple. Recapping a little bit what you said, you both went through a lot of the traumas that, that first responders go through. It had a negative impact on you as a couple, and in particular, your marriage suffered. Can you give us some detail about what happened to you as a couple? I think that in in our particular case, uh, we were not acting as a married couple who happened to be cops. We were acting as two cops who happened to be married. And so basically, we were two cops living in the same household. But something about law enforcement in our in any first responder field, we tend to have the idea that what we see at work doesn't affect our families. Because we we go to work, and in, in most cases, we don't talk about what happened at work with our families. And so they're left wondering, well, why are they so angry? Why are they snapping at the kids? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? And in those cases, the family doesn't understand because oftentimes the first responder doesn't talk to them about it. And we falsely lead ourselves to believe that it's not affecting our family, that we can hide it from our children, that they don't know what's going on. And basically, that's what we were doing in our household. We fought all the time. Our kids were grown. Our daughter went to college and our son was in the Marine Corps. But uh, we were fighting all the time. We were just struggling as a couple and and pretty close to the end of our marriage when, when we finally decided that it was time to get help. And that's not uncommon. I, I remember reading somewhere I, I can't don't quote me on it but after vietnam when a lot of our combat veterans were coming home and were home and they started having problems one of the red flags they noticed that started indicating when i say they the va and and mental health professionals started noticing was domestic problems were arising in the households like uh, 75, 80% of the time. And that was one of the red flags of saying, why is it these these people who were happily married before combat came back home and all of a sudden they can't have dinner together without having an argument? And that's mm-hmm. one of the things they found was quite common. Was that how, and I don't want to belittle it, but that, was that how it was getting for you two? It, it was, it was absolutely, it, well, as a, both of us being first responders, if we had a meal together, that was that was a, that was a win. But uh, absolutely, we we were not getting along at all. We were arguing on a regular basis, and and it just got to the point where we didn't discuss anything because we would argue about it. We just went about our our daily lives of working and eating and sleeping and doing you know what we had to do, taking care of of our daughter in college and you know the various household things that you have to do as a as a family but we weren't addressing the issues we were just sugar sugarcoating everything and doing what most cops do and just 
responding call to call to call or chore to chore to chore, task to task to task. And that's kind of the way it was for, for me. We got the point where my wife and I, we couldn't even say, could you pass assault? My first exactly. wife. And, and she was not a law enforcement officer, but she was an emergency room trauma nurse at Johns Hopkins University Hospital in Baltimore. And she saw more than her fair share of trauma as well. And I never, mm-hmm. selfishly, I never considered the impact it had on her. Right. And, and I think that's what we do. We insulate ourselves because we get caught up in, in our own trauma. I know in my case, it was hard for me to be empathetic to Javier when he was involved in his shooting because I had just gone through the line of duty death of, of our officer and our friend. And instead of reacting as a supportive husband, as a supportive wife, we simply just plunged forward, went back to work. We did what cops do. We just thinking we are, we're dealing with it by just moving forward. But you've talked about accumulative stress and that's what happens. It built up and built up and built up. And, uh, you know, grief causes anger, and anger causes people to lash out. And yeah. regardless of what we think, we aren't hiding it from our spouses, and we aren't hiding it from our children. And unfortunately, they're the ones who, the closest to us, wind up catching it. And it's not just with police. That's with everybody in, in general. It, it absolutely is, because as spouses, even if we were civilians, communication is so important in a relationship, and we don't communicate anymore. We email, we text, we Facebook. Uh, we do all these things, but face-to-face communication is very rare in our, not only in our world, but in the civilian world as well. And spouses need to communicate. That's one of the first things that we try and and pass on is that you've got to communicate. And Javier, from what you've learned, what would you suggest for couples, whether it be just one in law enforcement? Let's just say this. Any couple is dealing with trauma on one side or the other and are having difficulties. What would you suggest? I would suggest most definitely is is put down the the shields that you have facing towards each other and the swords and realize that this is the person that you chose to spend your life with and to be vulnerable with and you have to begin communicating and you have to be able to admit we need help and we can't just communicate with each other we have to communicate with peer support or with clergy or with the clinician that's the, the thing that anybody who is married, regardless if it's civilians or anybody in any first responder career field, has to realize is you have to put down the armor and start talking to each other and not take offense to what your partner is telling you. That's tough. That's a tough one right there. It, and partly I'm, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, my wife now is almost second marriage, and we've been married 20 years almost. And she still pays some of the price for what I went through all those years ago in policing. My daughters as well. My first wife, definitely. Although things are much, much better. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. I'm still, I don't have the fuse that I would like to have. So after listening to this conversation, I want to go home and, and do something and say, look, I'm sorry. And sometimes that just seems so inadequate, but it's a starting point, I guess. I it is a starting you. point, yeah. yeah I, I agree with you, sir, because saying I'm sorry is a great thing, but don't say I'm sorry but and offer an excuse. When you say I'm sorry, be prepared to back up that sorry by taking action. Otherwise, it's just words. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. There's an old saying, if you've got a problem, I've said I'm sorry hundreds of times about certain things and do the same thing over and over again. 
and people say, you're right, you are sorry. But when I want to make amends and correct my behavior, that's when the real healing as a couple begins. Yeah. What's the saying? Action speaks louder than words. Yeah, correct. You can say you're sorry a hundred times, but if your actions don't reflect that you're sorry, it, it's not. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of words. Yeah. And I'm not talking about big glaring things either. People, I want people right. to get the wrong idea. I've heard, this is something that makes me so mad. I've heard people say, well, 50% of cops beat their wives. Another 50% will cheat on them. That is the furthest thing from the truth. We're talking about what you and I are talking about. It was arguing and not getting along and not talking to each other and having instability at home where it should have been a safe space for both of us. And there was no right. violence. And I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Oh, of course. Yeah. And and that's it is a case in, in many first responder marriages, especially, but it's the day to day bickering, the arguing, the lack of communication that leads to the biggies, the infidelity and, and yeah. the other things that happen in marriages. And, and um, quite often that, that winds up being one of the things that lead to the suicide. And yes. a, a triad, you got substance abuse, not sleeping well, not getting along at home, marital problems, and then departmental problems where you're in trouble at work. Quite often the next result is the final solution. And I, I hate to see people in that position position especially when it's so preventable and we can deal with it absolutely absolutely because there are so you know whereas when you and i began our career and when javier began his career there weren't resources out there for help you just you handled it by going under the bridge and drinking until you couldn't walk anymore or going to somebody's house and having parties and that's how it was handled because there weren't the resources available but there are so many resources available now to get people through that absolute darkest moment when they reach out the resources are there and that's what we try to offer they can go to your website and get more details that's kathy and javi.com c-a-t-h-y and j-a-v-i.com also you're all over the world wide web and social media and stuff that peer support couple just search for you on facebook and they'll find you yes sir they can find us they put us in the search bar that peer support couple and I'm pretty sure they're going to see some hits on Facebook, our website. I think we're easy to find. At least I hope we are. I appreciate very greatly all that you do. And thanks so much for coming on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.